So one of the things that we did last week is we just recognized in this day of disruption is we we challenged you to do an own, your own personal stress assessment survey. Now, this was the Holmes Ray Life in, Stress Inventory. I have a psychology minor, which just means this. I know enough psychology to be dangerous, okay? So don't come see me for therapy or anything like that. But one of the classes that I had in my undergraduate was a class called Mental Hygiene. Can you imagine? Whoever named that class needs needs a new job because mental hygiene is not what you want to think of, but exactly what it was called. And it was really just helping you assess your own health. Well, one of those things that we did is we took the Holmes Ray stress inventory in college. I have been taking it from time to time, giving it to others to take from time to time, and I want to encourage you to take it. And you can, again, call to action here. Number three already in the message is text stress to 97000, and in a few moments, you'll get back a inventory that you can take. Now, we did this last Sunday, if you were with us, and a number of you did it. In fact, a good number of you did it, and it actually told us a lot about the stress levels of our church, which is interesting because in this, again, kind of standard uh, test for determining stress, the, the, the statistics go that if you rank or if your score on the inventory is somewhere between 0 and 150, then you have a reasonable amount of stress. You can't get away from stress and anxiety. It's just a part of world living, okay? But if you get to 150 up to 300, you need to start taking notice. That's in the yellow zone, okay? You're not in the red zone. You're in the yellow zone. And at that point, you need to be assessing because there's a 50-50 chance that in the next year, you're going to have a physical experiential moment where you're going to get sick and it's going to actually affect you and it's going to be somewhat stress-induced. Again, that's 150 to 300. We have well over an average score of well in to the 200s. We have a highly stressed church in the yellow zone. And we even had some in the red zone, which was 300 and above. We had someone score as high as 500. So please listen in. Come in close. If you are that person, if you are in that high stress, in that dangerously stressed zone, you need to realize that your chances of getting sick this next year are 80% chance. So I am hoping in this dis- disruption series, as we're being disturbed and shaken and messed up and messed around with, that we can get some handles on this to handle the anxiety and to be able to get out from underneath the loads that we're carrying. Today, I want us to continue to dive into this because we've talked about disruption as being an interruption to our assumptions. When our regular rhythms of life get disrupted, it interrupts our assumption. So what are we going to do with that? I want us to talk about that today and learn how not just to survive, but how can we thrive? How can we actually do well in seasons of disruption? And we looked last week at one of my favorite Old Testament heroes, David. Today, I want to look at one of my New Testament heroes, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, so if you have your Bibles, if you have your tablets, your phones, then open them up to 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 4 in just a moment. 
But he kind of helps us to see because David and Paul, they both lived a life with quite a bit of anxiety, quite a bit of stress, quite a bit of pressure. And I want us to kind of learn from these great heroes in the faith on how to thrive and not just survive. Because even though I think all of us at times think we're the superheroes and that I can handle it and I can do this and I can overcome it until our kryptonite comes upon us and we find ourselves weakened, sick, again, because of the stress and the anxiety of, of, our, of our day, how do you navigate those times? Paul was a person who humble, with humble perseverance was able. He knew his own vulnerability. He embraced his own vulnerability. He even said in his, one of his letters to Timothy that he was the chiefest of sinners. He knew himself that he was a weak individual. But he was also a persevering individual. He was humble, persevering in nature. And when you look at him, he lived a, a life with a lot of turmoil. Second Corinthians is kind of an a autobiography of him. In fact, throughout 2 Corinthians, you find him talking a lot about, uh, about life and his life and his journey and his story. And you find that he faced a life of disruption. When I say that, let me just give you a couple examples. He was beaten, yes, beaten five different times, 39 lashes. Now, why 39 and not 40? And why not just a a random number? Because 40 was considered a sentence unto death. He was beaten 39 times, five different times. He lived a life of disruption. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. They believe that they were literally out to kill him. Three different times he was shipwrecked. And another time he spent an entire night and day at sea. Lost at sea. He was robbed. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27, Danger from all my people, my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at the sea. Danger in false brothers. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights. Anybody suffering from insomnia in this day of disruption? In hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. This is an autobiography of Paul. How did Paul, in the midst of all of that disruption in his own life, how was he able to thrive and not merely survive? Well, that's what I want to look at today. And I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. So I want you to join with me as we look at this. And I want us to see today three paradox, three paradox to disruption. Now, what's a paradox? A paradox is two seemingly absurd, self-contradictory statements that both are proven to be true. So, is it possible for you to survive and thrive in disruption? Survive and thrive? Or is that a contradiction? Well, sometimes I think we get so much in the weeds, so much caught up in the turmoil, so much in the day-to-day of the anxiety that we can't see out of it. We're living on the street level and we're living in the muck and the mire and we're seeing our problems face on right in front of us. Sometimes we have to get above the fray. Sometimes we have to get a different perspective. 
And the way I'm calling us today is I'm calling us up above the city, up above the noise as best we can, up above the busyness of life, and let us find some space to get a different perspective. Because Paul's perspective in, on his disruption is absolutely incredible. So let's talk about paradox number one. Paradox number one says this, I am weak, but we are strong. Notice the emphasis on the pronouns. I am weak, but we are strong. Who's the we in the story? All right, notice that. There is a we in the paradox because it sounds like I am weak and whenever you are in days of disruption, your weakness comes up. You get under a load. You can't bear up underneath it. You can't handle the stress anymore of the relationship. You got to get out. You got to move on to a new job. What are you going to do to make ends meet? There's so many things and you want to run. You want to get away. But that's when you're weak. What we need to do is realize how are we strong? Whenever you get to that point, the best thing you can do is just put pause on life and go, I can't. Just say it with me. Say, I can't. Say it, I didn't hear it. Say it, I can't. Because when you say, I can't, then you're opening up the opportunity for God to step in and say, we can. I can't stop my financial downturn. I need help. I need help. You, that, that statement alone opens up the door for you to enter into a new narrative. I can't control my addictions. I can't stop looking at porn. I can't get off these pills. I can't stop gambling. I can't stop eating. I can't stop buying. I need help. Learning how to say that is the first way to move in to hope and healing I can't fix my marriage, okay? When you reach that point, you say, I need help. That's when the narrative begins to change. So when we're looking here at 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 verse 7, Paul says something, and he refers to us as clay jars, clay pots, Okay, the clay pots were common. They were they were utility instruments. They were functional. They they were that, that's what they were. They just literally used to carry grain or water, or they were used for storage or whatever that may be. Nothing special about a clay pot. It was made from the dirt. It was baked in an oven. It was crafted. That was it. Well, at the same time, what he says about a clay jar is pretty impactful. He says, but we have this treasure in clay jars. We're the clay jars. And he tells us why. Two henna claws. Show. To show what? What are we to show? We're to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. God is the we in the story of our victory. I am weak, but we are strong. And that word surpassing power, circle that word in your Bibles, right out to the side, hyperbole, because that's the Greek word that we get hyperbole from. Hyperbole is something that when you say something and you're exaggerating it to make a point. So what does God do with us, the clay jars, in the fragile life that we live? In this day of disruption, our fragile lives is more and more evident. He fills us with His surpassing power. 
we're able to do what we can do with God. That's why Paul was able to say in, in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is through Christ strengthening him. It is through the power of, of God within me. It is that demonstration, that hyperbole of our story. What's the hyperbole of your story? Now, whenever you go on in 2 Corinthians, I've said it's kind of an autobiography of Paul. If you go on to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you find where Paul is literally referring to this, uh, this inward strength that he has. He at one time prayed, God, deliver me. God, deliver me from a particular situation. God gave, gave, did not deliver him, but God gave him the strength. Sometimes God doesn't take us out of our pain. Sometimes He gives us the grace to go through the pain. Paul wanted to be free from a thorn in the flesh. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. God didn't take the thorn in the flesh away. But He gave him the grace to get through it. That's when he said, My grace is sufficient for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you for my power. Remember? Power, remember, in us, remember the clay jars. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul realized there is power in Christ's presence in him. And that is greater than the power that Paul had himself. I am weak. We are strong. That was why Paul was able to go on to say in verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you able to say in your life today, I am weak? I am weak. Are you able to say that we are strong? One of the biggest lies you'll hear people say today is that God will never put more on you than you can bear. And some of you are saying, wait, 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 I got more on me than I can bear right now. And by the numbers of the stress inventory, a lot of people have more on them than they can bear right now. How am I to weigh that out? That's not scriptural. God will put more on us than we can bear. He will give us more than we can do. He will ask more of us than we can deliver. Why? Because He wants us to depend upon Him. He wants us to be aware of our weaknesses so that we can get in touch with His strength. Again, the surpassing, the hyperbole, strength and power of God. Let me ask you a reflective question. What is it in your life that if God doesn't show up, you fail? What is going on? What's He asked you to do? How is He showing up? That if He doesn't show up, you fail. God wants to put us in impossible circumstances and situations. Here's paradox number two. I feel defeated but we are winning. I feel defeated, but we are winning. When you go on and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, you read a little bit about the tension that was on Paul's heart. But before we go there, I want us to read a verse together. It's on the screen in front of you, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10. Read it with me. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Can Can I read that again? I want you to read it with me. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Every single one of us, every single one of us is struggling in some way at some time. And every heart knows its own bitterness. 
And sometimes that, that, that weight gets on us and we feel defeated. I feel defeated, but we are winning. How can I be winning and feel defeated at the same time? Paul goes on in verse 8 and 9 and he says it like this. I'm afflicted. I'm perplexed. I'm persecuted. I'm struck down. But he also said, but I'm not crushed. And I'm not driven to despair. And I'm, and I'm not forsaken. And I'm not destroyed. He says, I feel this way, but I'm not. I feel this way. So I feel like I'm losing, but I'm actually winning. When you think about it, how much grit do you have in your hope? How much do you staying power and sticking power do you have in the hope and the struggles of your life? I want to, because we don't have any sports going on nowadays, I want to take you back to the last big American sports event. The Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl the first weekend in February. Now, all you Chief fans right now can just go hoorah and whatever. It took you 50 years to get it, but you finally got it, right? All those Bronco fans in the church, I know who you are right now. You're a little upset because you didn't make it. And us Cowboy fans, of course, we haven't been there in a long time. But let's talk about the Chiefs. Let's, let's talk about this amazing game that happened there. For the first half, it was a, it was a complete tie. All right, They go into halftime. They come back after halftime. What happens? The 49ers come out. And they start shellacking the Kansas City Chiefs. I thought, oh my goodness. This is just like every playoff game since 2015. It's like, we're going to do good for a while, and then we're going to fall apart at the end. Well, and then, of course, you know a young man named Patrick Mahomes. He somehow, his, cat, his, 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 his team comes together, somehow he rallies them together, and they come back and they win. It's an incredible win. And go, Chief fans. I actually was pulling for the Chiefs on that. What happened is they never lost hope. They believed in their quarterback. They believed in their coach. They believed in the linemen. They believed in the defense. They believed in each other. And they ne- their grit, their hope, had grit. Paul's hope had grit. Let me remind you what he said. He said, I'm afflicted. I'm perplexed. I'm persecuted. I'm struck down. That, everything about that says I'm defeated. But then he came back. He says, but I'm not crushed. I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I'm not driven to despair. I may not be able to find much hope, but I am not driven to despair. We've just talked about hope in our hope gardens. How's your hope garden? Is it still growing? We still have more of them. If you want one, come see us. I'm not forsaken. Jesus hasn't abandoned him. It says in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul knew that. I'm not destroyed. I may be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. You hear the hope in his voice? The grit in his hope. Do you have grit in your hope? I hope so. When you read Paul's circumstances, you feel sorry for him. But when you get Paul's perspective, you feel inspired by him. I hope that your hope gains some grit because you may feel like you're losing, but with Jesus in you, you're winning. So... Where are you at today? One other paradox that I don't want us to miss is that I'm closer to death daily, but I'm more alive every day. Every day I get up and this face looks in the mirror in my bathroom. 
And I said to Lori the other day, I used to say, I'm getting old. Now I say, I am old. All right? You know, you're just reminded constantly that you can't do like you used to do. You can't move like you used to move. You aren't as healthy as you once were. How is it that we're getting older at the same time we're getting younger? Because in verse 12, it says that no, so death is at work, but life is in you. Death is at work, but life is in you. What, a, what an incredible statement that, yes, death is taking our lives and taking our lives, and COVID-19 has taken a lot of lives. And yes, we should fear or we should face the reality that our life will one day come to an end. But we also should live in the reality that there is life inside of us and it is not dying. It is being renewed every single day. If you go on in down to verse 18, this is the way Paul ends the chapter. He says, though my outer body, though our outer selves are wasting away. Yes, we're getting older. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you hear in Paul? He is a man who's facing disruption. But somehow, he said, I am weak, but we are strong. He wasn't giving up. He wasn't giving in. He said, I am old, but I'm also getting young. You hear in that? You hear in there that he, I am defeated, but I am winning. It's such a paradox because the life in Christ is just that. It is a life that is a paradox. It doesn't make sense that I can be born again. It doesn't make sense that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It doesn't make sense that I must give up my life to gain life. The whole walk of Jesus is a paradox, but it's the walk that gives us hope in life, grit in our hope, the ability to move on. I hope as you look into your soul and you think about the tension and the pressures that you're under, I hope that you will say, raise your hand and say, I'm weak, but with Jesus, I am strong. Do you have that kind of relationship? Do you have that kind of relationship where you feel defeated, but yet you know in the end you're not crushed, you're not defeated, you're not, God has not abandoned you? Do you have that kind of grit of hope in your soul? And finally, do you feel that even though your life is getting older, you're being renewed in your spirit, and you're getting younger, and you have more energy and more life? I pray you do. I close with the story of King George the sixth of England, of the British Commonwealth. In the new year, one time he was addressing the entire nation at one, on the edge and on the, on the forefront of one of the greatest, darkest moments in the nation of Great Britain and the world, to be exact. And he was also, his life and body was wrapped with cancer. He would soon die, not long thereafter, But this is the statement that he said in his New Year's address. And I want it to be our statement as we look at what next looks like, what the new normal looks like, what does post-COVID look like, what does going back to school look like, what does going back to work look like, what does a new relationship look like, what does my future look like. These are the words of the great King George VI. He said, I said to the man, at the gate of the year. 
Give me a light that I may walk safely into the unknown. We're certainly looking at the unknown. And he said to me, Go into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. It shall be to you safer than the light and better than the known. Safer than the light and better than the known is to have your hand in the hand of God. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, right where you're at in your living room right now, would you do this? Would you just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give you one more call to action. And that is, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And if you today are giving your life to trusting Jesus with your life, would you let me know? And the way you can let me know, here's one more call to action. Text that phrase, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus to 9700. If you will do that, one of our pastors will reach out in a loving conversation with you, get you started in your faith journey, get you started to having a hope with grit that stays, that sticks, help you to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are here to walk with you. We're here to be with you in this day of disruption. Let us walk together.